And we're back after recording multiple podcasts for last season and putting zero of them on any sort of platform. We have decided to go at it again. I am Spike and I'm here with my co-host. Sup, it's Lizard. I think that's what we were calling ourselves. Spike and Lizard here to break down Survivor 45 premiere episode. So let's just jump right in. Um, I do have a picture of the cast in front of me just to remind myself because I only watched this episode through once. And now 90 minute premiere episodes are the norm. So it didn't feel weird that this episode was 90 minutes, but I still feel like we could have gotten more strategy at the same time. Lizard, what is one word you would use to describe this season premiere? What a phenomenal question. And one really has to think deeply. This this episode contained multitudes. Um, <laughs> so it contained multitudes. <laughs> I also contain multitudes, but that's another discussion. Honestly, I think in one word, this is a an I don't mean this with a negative connotation, but I think this was an offbeat premiere. That is cutting. Yeah, offbeat, helter skelter. I'll, I'll count that as one word, even though you keep using like two words. But they're said offbeat, together to be one word. Well, helter skelter is objectively two words, but I was just thinking. I agree. I'm just saying you're on a technicality here, and I'm going to throw you over the barge if you do it again. Do I at least get the giant ladder that's really hard to climb back up? That, okay, I, this is my word for the premiere, and my word is real. You know, I think that's, that's beautiful, because I do think a lot of the real world is pretty offbeat, and just idiosyncrasies all the time. I just think that after watching that premiere, my thought is that this is a cast of dare I say unpolished people (laughs) in a good way I had taken issue sometimes with the past few seasons and the amount of positivity in these seasons and maybe I'm just a hater but I remember when we were talking about season 43 with Owen and James kind of getting into it and us being like finally some drama and that was so tame so honestly like I'm here for it I feel like these people are real in the way of like they're making mistakes they're having anxiety attacks and they're having nicotine withdrawals stop that was so funny I it's okay it's not funny because that's real and challenging but it's very funny for that to just come up in the way that it did I I do agree with you. It is real. And I think in a lot of the ways where the other seasons, especially the previous two that we've talked about together, um, everyone is very much a character. Mm -hmm. And this feels like I I like the word unpolished in a good way. Yeah. I don't feel like people are putting on except for Drew. Oh, my God. We have to talk about Drew. We have to talk about what's his last name? Yes. And let's not forget that he goes to the University of Pennsylvania, which is an Ivy League school in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, famously. But I think all the other Ivies dunk on it hard. I don't. Okay. I want to be careful with how I phrase this because I'm not trying to dunk on Ivy Leagues. I think it's like prestigious and great if you go there. But I also think that there's a lot of reasons that one can get into an Ivy League that doesn't make it a... I don't think, okay, I guess the best way I could use to describe this is if I were on Survivor and someone told me they went to an Ivy League that wasn't Harvard, I'd be like, I don't care. You only care about Harvard? (laughs) I just think Harvard is the biggest one. And if there was going to be any sort of like prestige that I would attach to that, I would. Yale stands rise. Harvard v. Yale like reignited on this podcast. I love that. I think that. Unless you go to Harvard, I think Harvard is just like the biggest name that it's like, and I'm not saying I would give like any sort of like reference or prestige to that person anyway, but I just think it's like. Harvard does feel like like the default just name. I think that it's not a flex. 
I guess that's the best way to put it. I mean, I think it is a flex in life. I don't think it's a flex on Survivor. Yes. And I also agree with you where there's people that like, there's a certain subset of people that go to Ivy's that even if they got there completely on their own merit, exude the same personality of people that perhaps got in for other reasons. And I just feel like he is portraying like the worst stereotype of an Ivy League kid that's just, it feels like he thinks he, like the ground he walks on should be hallowed purely for the fact that he goes to this school, which also, I didn't go to school in Philadelphia, but I went to school near Philly and I was there a lot. And like, let me tell you, I love Philly deeply, but like, this is not some like preppy snobby, like this kid is putting on such an act and maybe he's like actually the greatest person in real life. And he's just getting an interesting TV cut. And I'm going to regret saying this when I like meet him in person one day when this pod is famous, but well, as of right now, I don't know. Not true. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with the personality choices he's made so far. He's striking me. Okay, he's what? 24? Uh, I, 22. I, oh, even better. Th- that actually makes what I was about to say even more accurate. This is the person that everyone is at 22, where they think they have themselves completely figured out and because they have now left their home to go to college or to go to a trade school or to pursue another avenue in life but they've usually left the nest they're incorporating themselves in the quote-unquote real world now and they think they know exactly who they are but what they don't realize is that they have just peeled off the first layer and that they have so much further to go in terms of like depth and finding out their true personalities and likes and wants like this man's frontal lobe like has not prefrontal cortex has not developed quite literally he just I see this all the time and I also say this having been this way myself where the person like when you're 21 22 I think that you are new to adult life and you go through a lot of changes very quickly. And I do think you gain a deeper understanding of yourself, but people think that's like where it stops when like it's, you're just entering the shallow end of the pool. Like that's what it strikes me as, is this guy thinks he knows exactly who he is. And he, I would love to see if he gets through this entire season, I would love to like see him at the end of the season versus the first episode, because this would be a great caveat, not caveat. This would be a great vehicle for him to experience some like introspective growth. And I think that him coming out of this experience, he'll know a lot more about himself and realize that he didn't understand the depth to himself. That was kind of long, but I hope you get what I'm saying there. I do. And it's funny you say that because I, the minute he started speaking, I was like, this kid, just needs like a hard uppercut from the school of life in reality like he needs to get knocked down a few pegs and nothing will do that to you like survivors so I think this is a great growth opportunity for him in the interest of time we do need to talk about some other stars of this evening so the cast list I'm looking at it also has everybody's uh where they're from and their job mm-hmm. and I am I'm chuckling to myself our our queen Emily. Emily the pessimist. Emily the one that hates everything. Emily, I am obsessed with haters. She is the bitch I've been waiting for ever since. <laughs> I want her. Started. I want her on a season with Cass. I think that would be funny. I, I feel like they're too similar, and I actually think they wouldn't clash. I feel like they would be on the same page. But imagine if there's like, two of them running it. <laughs> that's true. They would have a great alliance. I, I am so here for Emily. Where Where is she from? So that's why I wanted to bring her up. Folks, she's local to me. She is from Washington, D.C. Oh, my and God. She is tragically is not helping the stereotype of um, D.C. people just being crazy, intense, job-focused steamrollers. <laughs> I think that she... I, I agree completely with you. She's also a financial analyst, which... Oh, my God. I think continues to make sense and Emily we're local you are one of the baddest bitches on this season simply because you are speaking your mind like I said I have been waiting for 
somebody to come in and not be all kumbaya and not be all I love everybody because it's good for the social game is this girl strategic in episode one absolutely not do I think it's good tv and do I like it yes like I I personally it's don't great think TV. any of her moves were not strategic. good survivor I like how in all the conventional she's like I know I'm being this way and I refuse to acknowledge that it might be bad I a bad idea I think that if we were to look into like the strategic value of her moves, calling Bruce out and overall being a negative Nancy at camp, which is just what we're shown. I I still think that she's bringing value. Like, this is what I mean. Like she's being real. Like that is, that was my overwhelming thought this episode where I was like, these people are being fucking real. Like, no, it doesn't feel like anybody's putting up a farce or a face as much as in past seasons. Which isn't to say that it doesn't have value. Like strategically, it's probably not the best for them to be this real, <laughs> but I'm enjoy I enjoyed it. It wasn't Paul. Pol- yeah, it was unpolished, just like I said earlier. I liked it. I am infuriated by Emily just because I think she's being mean, but I do like appreciate that she is just speaking her truth and it's great TV. Um, this is selfish, but I just wanted to talk about Austin for all of one minute because I think he's a cutie and he reminds me a lot of Malcolm. Like, I feel like they're trying to cast another Malcolm Austin. Would you say that Xander is a Malcolm type? Because Austin really reminded me of Xander. Do you Um, think that's all the same archetype or no? I do think he's very Malcolm-like as well. Now, granted, it's been a long time since I've literally, like, looked at a picture or an episode with Malcolm in it but I also think Austin just looks more like Malcolm so that's why it's even more flashing lights in my head saying oh my god this is the Malcolm archetype I think that's true I also love that this man who has fully watched every season of the new era of Survivor and knows about beware advantages found uh idol or advantage he doesn't know grabs it and runs and then is like oh no it's a beware advantage as if he, like, didn't know that already. <laughs> like, with right, Cody like, in season 43, he grabbed it immediately, but the, it, he, I think, knew it was a beware. He just didn't think about it. Maybe mm-hmm. he didn't. I don't know. I just thought that was funny. Well, to Austin's credit, he said, I thought of it, about it for about three seconds and decided I have to open it. I'm on Survivor, so. <laughs> I agree. I mean, I think that is the move. I just so, think he's a cutie. I think he's going to be America's sweetheart. I think so too. This, this man for me is the Xander of this season. Like he gives me such Xander vibes, but like Xander also gave me some Malcolm vibes. He's Mm -hmm. the pretty boy who is going to be good at challenges and is probably going to be voted off very close after the merge. Absolutely. We're in the era of being voted off in like eight or seven position. It's like eight and seven are big. Five is big. He's getting that coveted like eight spot. I feel like exactly i feel like we do need to talk about brandon i i okay he had no choice in being this real because like the kinds of things he was experiencing by definition you don't have control over he was being really raw and authentic in a way that i think a lot of people will appreciate regardless of if you can relate to the feelings or not but he didn't actually get to choose if he was being raw and authentic i think that it is wild that he and sean that they did not strip down for the swimming part of the challenge everybody kept their shoes on your shoes on i've swam for like weird reasons multiple times in heavy clothes and it's really hard yeah i think that's a bananas thing to do but also indicative of somebody who's just so excited to be there that they're not thinking straight. But I do think that that played a part in him not being able to climb up the ladder is that his clothes were soaking wet and his shoes were soaking wet and they were weighing him down. I agree with you. I don't think it, I don't think that was like the sole issue, but it definitely like pushed everything over the edge. And also another like personal relation I had to this like whole experience. I've had to climb ladders like that before like at like a ropes course kind of thing mm-hmm. they're so hard so like it that's art like I get that how I did the same thing I looked at it before I had to climb and I was like okay like that's not that bad and then you get there and it's horrible so I do want to just say like I think it's harder than it looks so it's like you have a hard obstacle 
you have heavy clothes and shoes, you're panicking or anxious or just having like very intense emotions because it's the kickoff. Brandon thought he was gonna die. I thought he was gonna have to get pulled from the water by medical or the yeah, would he just like, I literally thought he was drowning. Yeah, I thought he was drowning too. And then when he just flopped into the boat and just laid there, like did you all knock him? Did he like get knocked out on the way? Like what happened? And then Jeff just said like he wanted a challenger on survivors. Like this man is not good. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I don't like the aspect of challenges when they have to knock the key off that spiral. I just don't like it. I don't yeah. like it as a challenge concept and it shows up so often. And I just think it's silly. This iteration of it too was extra silly. I don't know. I just am not a fan of that. And I don't have a real concrete answer as to why I just feel that way. Yeah. Okay. Well, talking about challenges. So we get off the boat and they they switch up the sweat savvy this year. And yeah. both people, first they have to volunteer or choose two people before they even get to know what's happening. And it's like are at a separate location. In that spot, like if you're there, are you volunteering? No. For This is very specific to me. And just like, this is the thing I would have to watch out for myself if I was ever on the show is in like group situations or whatever, I tend to take the lead on things. And that's just like what I've always done. And it's a great skill in life. But on Survivor, I am very actively dialing that back and trying to be a very chill, go with the flow person, contribute, but not be the decision maker, at least in the beginning, just to not be an immediate target. So I am not volunteering. If someone says, are you good at puzzles? I would give them a true answer, which is not really. If they say, are you strong? I'd give them a true answer and be like, decently. And then if someone was like, can you please do it? I'd probably be like, uh, uh, okay, you know, just kind of whatever the tribe wants. Like, I'll let it happen, but I'm not instigating. Yeah. I agree. I think it's interesting. because we just don't know anything about this. Yeah. I think it's an interesting choice that they moved it so that the two tribes were competing against one another, but that they still had the option that both of them could lose, which is what ended up happening. This head-to-head didn't even promise a winner. Yes. Also, on your note, I would not volunteer either because... It removes you from the tribe in a pretty pivotal moment. At that point, the four people on the beach are a majority. And I think if they're doing the sweat and savvy on the beach, you're still connected to them in that way. They can Mm -hmm. see you hauling the logs. They're not just gone. And you don't have Miss Emily doing a confessional where she's screaming about how you're lying about the outcome and what really happened. Which I have to say is exactly what production probably wanted from that. Is well, I was going to ask you, did so... you think that, like, did you think that production gave them such a short amount of time with the hope that both of them would lose and create this kind of drama at camp? Or do you think they actually thought someone was going to be able to do that? I hope it's not the former because I think that would be manipulating the game way too much and pushing for scenarios to happen that wouldn't have organically happened. I do think that they should have had a longer time frame. I think what was missing from that, it should have been like a five to six hour time limit, something where it pushes them more than it did, which wasn't to say that it didn't look extremely hard. It did, but I just think if you had made it a much longer time limit, one- probably one of the teams would have achieved the goal and completed it. Two, it goes back to like old school survivor where challenges used to last for hours. I think it would have been good TV to see these people push to the limit on this sweat and savvy challenge. And imagine if they'd put more hours of work in and still come out with nothing. Yeah. I I mean, that would be interesting. I think if they did that, we would be sitting here saying that they like took two people away from the game for too long yeah and I also I don't I don't know if I agree that it would make good tv because I think watching people stare at a puzzle for hours would be and I know of course they're cutting back and forth but I I do want to take like a moment to discuss this puzzle because it's finally something new I'm also curious about the whole time limit thing because I think that's a puzzle where 
like you could sit with that for for five minutes or eight hours and in both scenarios never figure it out you're right I think that's the type of puzzle where once you know the trick it's gonna be done super quickly but if you don't know the trick it's never gonna happen and I so I went on a deep dive on this puzzle because I was just like I need to know what you're even supposed to do and where this came from I think this I don't know so if I'm wrong don't quote me it's from like a mathematical field called topology which I think is under the umbrella of discrete math and I watched a breakdown of how you solve these. I forget what they're, I forget what it's called, but there's a very specific way to do it. And even just watching it in slow motion, it's really hard to make sense of and follow. So I totally agree that once you know the trick, you can do it. But I don't think you're going to just figure out the trick in the way that with a lot of other puzzles on Survivor, like it is actually possible for people that are just clever enough or just see it for whatever reason to pick up the trick. This, I feel like you need some sort of mathematical background in this very specific thing to then figure out. I just I just don't see a scenario where an average person on Survivor just figures this trick out. How do you think Carson would have done at this challenge? Well, that's very interesting. I don't I would have loved to see I would have loved to see him do this and also Drew self-proclaimed smartest Survivor player ever. This has not been on Survivor before, so Carson would not have 3D printed and practiced it. (laughs) But he's also very intelligent and seems like he'd be good at puzzles, whether he practiced them or not. And then this other kid is just like the literal genius. So he probably has taken entire advanced courses on topology and math. So, but all I know is like, I watched multiple videos of like the process of how this rope thing works. And it's very mind it's intricate yeah it's it's they showed a sped up clip of how to solve it on the show and I was oh that's funny I missed that (laughs) I was well I was not following it they literally show you how to do it showing the sweat and savvy they show probably the production people doing it and it was extremely convoluted, extremely complex. And yeah, I don't think I would have gotten it. Like, <laughs> that's the best way to put that. I would not have gotten it. I just really think like it's an if you know, you know challenge, which yeah. does just make me wonder, like, what did they think was going to happen if they gave them a really hard physical challenge and an extremely complicated puzzle to solve in one hour? Like, they really think anyone was going to get it? On that note, I was really impressed with Sabaya in that challenge. Is she the one that was like talking to herself? Yeah. Also so relatable. When she started talking to herself to push through it, it reminded Mm -hmm. me of when you and I hiked one of the mountains in the smoky. Yeah. And I was talking and singing to myself the whole time. Because it was so strenuous and so hard to summit it. Yeah. So that was kind of our opening scene. I did think it was funny. The little montage of, see, this is bad. I don't know anybody's tribe names or even like the right colors for the right people. But the one where it was like everybody sitting around just saying, I don't know how to build a shelter. And like the one woman was just sweeping the ground with a stick. I think that was Bellow because they're yellow. Oh, right. And Emily, is that's the one Emily's on, correct? Yes. So right, because she was, was pissed Brandon, about sweeping Emily, the ground. And Hannah. Which Hannah was sense. the one who was sweeping the ground. Oh. Also, Hannah, perhaps in a somewhat opposite way of Brandon experiencing the mental anguish and reality that is actually being on Survivor Beach and just panic talking and talking about how hungry she was. It felt like she got really fixated, like blinders and just couldn't get off of it no matter what happened. So I thought that was sweet that her and Brandon were there together for each other. But yeah, she had a very interesting experience that I know we'll loop back to for Tribal Council in depth. But I'm thinking just since we're on a challenge role, we could briefly discuss our thoughts on the first immunity challenge of Survivor. Very exciting. Whenever they do the the very like warped wall or steep, steep, steep ramp thing, whatever you want to call it. And they end up doing those human ladders where somebody just gets stepped on by everyone else. It always makes me feel a little bad. And I would just be really self-conscious of having other people trying to pick me up and standing on someone. I would feel so bad. But we finally have some survivor innovation happening 
the use of the buff was really interesting to me. Well, okay, I don't know if really interesting is the right term, but I thought it was creative. And also I was really impressed with the strength of the buff. And I would, I, you know, I want to know who the manufacturer is. I'm also curious if at any point Survivor will make a rule saying that they can't do that. I feel like they don't necessarily want to have too strong a grip on the game. And this is just them being creative and using their surroundings, but we'll I see. I think it's fine. I think it's... I want them to leave it alone. I thought like it was them using their clothes. People have worn scarves on Survivor before. So That's I don't think it's any different than that. First and mention I, of Tyson for this uh, this season of the pod. He famously had a scarf. That's so funny. I don't remember that, but I feel like I had a bright purple scarf. <laughs> those walls. I've I used to work at a high ropes course, and we actually had a a wall like that. There were no ropes for that obstacle. You just had to climb it with your teammates, and it was about twelve feet high. I think it was tall, and it was definitely scary. It made me very insecure when we did it because of that thought of like, who can lift me? Really quick, Brandon again at the challenge. Also, once again, thinking Brandon's dead. I thought Brandon had died. I thought he drowned in the marooning and I thought he landed on his neck and broke it in the daily challenge. He's been through so much and it's been probably six hours. I thought that was so funny in no you know what I don't know why I said that I don't I did not think it was funny in fact I actually really felt for him it made me feel very empathetic towards him and this was also where I was getting the word real from he couldn't control it but that's how he came out and one could argue that you knew you were going on survivor and so should have physically prepared some but Nobody is just climbing 12-foot-tall walls in their free time. No, it's just he got the short straw just on, like, every opportunity possible, which is unfortunate. You know, if you can make it through another few rounds and maybe have a bit better performance in the challenges, playing from the bottom has statistically worked out at least some of the time. Well, and for him, I also think that his tribe likes him. I that think and they also just at least like dislike someone else more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but okay, this is always like the question that comes up when there's people that are, have such strong personalities that maybe just clash with yours. Like Emily, for me, just on a visceral level, I know that I would not enjoy being around her in the way that she's being portrayed. But she would be the best person to take to the final. And it's right. how do you manage that and how do you keep yourself sane (laughs) I completely agree I have thought about that many times I was thinking about it when I would watch Abby (laughs) Abby Maria oh god yeah on the survivor seasons and I'm a fan like (laughs) I am a fan of hers I think it's a, a way better strategic move to keep somebody who is rubbing the other people of your tribe the wrong way because you can always vote her out. It's a gimme. Yeah. And I would vote to keep the gimme. Absolutely. Real quick, back to the marooning. What were your thoughts on the fact that we have four lawyers? I just thought it was funny. And Bruce. And Bruce. What do you think about Bruce's return to the game? Let's go there. I think Bruce is a stunning example that no matter how much you walk into a situation saying, I'm going to reinvent myself, I'm going to be someone different. Like, you know, when you think like the college trope of being abroad changed me or like I went abroad and I was a different person. No. Yes, you can have a lot of changes, but you're still going to be yourself at your core, which is I felt like what immediately happened with Bruce. He came in, he's like, I'm going to be the drunk uncle. I'm going to be really fun and different. And then maybe a minute later, just slipping into dad territory. And like in trying not to be dad, he was just extra dad. I also felt bad for him because I I loved the dad. I thought he was great just the way he was. He did not need to change. Don't change, Bruce. You're great. But it just was really funny to me. Or like, okay, your facade immediately fell down. <laughs> Agreed. I think that any advantage Bruce had by starting the game in the last season is gone. Because frankly, that man spent 12 hours. I don't know how long he actually spent out there. If he spent a full 24 hours out there, for 20 of them, he was concussed. Exactly. 
I think Emily, we're going to end up seeing a lot of this season as being the person that's voicing probably a lot of the more negative or concerned comments that other people may also have. So I think Emily's going to be the voice of whatever criticism anyone could have. Because I don't necessarily disagree with everything she says, but I definitely disagree with her delivery of basically everything she said so far. But when she was really nagging on Bruce about having all this advantage of like the game knowledge, it was like, he has not been there long enough at all. And then she got frustrated with him too for trying to give advice about shelters. Like when he was saying like the pom-poms don't work, like don't worry about braiding them. That was the most advantage he was going to have this entire game. And then she was hating on him for it. Like, this is actually, like, probably the only useful thing anyone has said in a long time. Let's accept that it. That wasn't Emily hating on it. They're not on the same tribe. I think you're oh, thinking of shoot. maybe either Kelly or Kendra. Well, my bad. Sorry, Emily. But I feel like she, Emily would say that. She would have hated, but we got we can't say she like, Whoever was on Bruce's tribe and, like, nagging him for that, I was just like, I don't know. I'm sure well, that's, that's a lot a of like if you do a damned if you don't situation. I agree. I think any advantage he had is up. Like he is now past the first tribal where he was out before that. So we're all flying blind here. I did think it was really funny how what's her name that made a big deal about not saying she's a lawyer? Katora. Yeah, I really like her. I thought that was so funny when she had her confessional and then immediately cut to I don't know who, but like other people talking about how they have to watch out for this person because they are a lawyer. I just always like when stuff lines up so perfectly like that. So thank you, editing team. And then it's her pretending Cody to be floating out the other salesman on his yeah. on his tribe and being exactly. like salespeople are sketchy and you shouldn't trust them. And all that time he's in elevator sales. They're equally funny just for different ways. But this one, she didn't even plant the seed that lawyers should be voted out she just was like oh i feel like they're gonna not like that and then immediately was proven correct and then she buddied up to and though i don't think i would care i don't think there's a single profession that would make me think you're better or worse at survivor maybe police officers just because there's a track record there but if there wasn't a track record i would not think that if you told me like i'm actually jeff probst i'm wearing a disguise be like okay well being the host of survivor is a career that makes me feel threatened by you and like that's it unless it's literally jeff i'm not upset what would you do if you were on survivor and then you walk up to like the marooning and jeff has a buff on and he's like survivors surprise i don't think jeff would cut it hot take (laughs) I think that he would not make it to the end, but I also think he would have a hard time with the survival aspect and living with the other people. He doesn't strike me as a fun guy to live with. And I say that loving Jeff Probst, but I just think he's probably very particular about things. That's fair. In a way, I wouldn't enjoy as a roommate. What are your thoughts on like initial tribal impressions? I think that the blue tribe is strong. It's got Brando, Bruce, Jake. It's got Katora, the lawyer, and then Kelly and Kendra. And so they won the opening. I think they won both challenges, the marooning and the daily. From what I remember. The biggest thing I remember from the tribes is I think it was Caleb and Sabaya got weirdly targeted as like a power couple or just like a power duo, even though they haven't done any like crazy, like we are the two scheming masterminds. I love them both and I like them working together because I think they're both like level-headed, normal people that are smart. Yeah, Caleb was someone who from preseason, I wasn't expecting to like as much as I do now. I don't want to jump ahead on this, but I am, I guess. Sabaya, it was my favorite from the episode and Mm -hmm. is my top player overall now. I think it was incredibly impressive that she was the only girl to do the sweat and the savvy. I totally respect that. And I also think that she is calm and level-headed, which is what the tribe needs with Brandon and, well, it used to be Hannah, but um, with Brandon and Emily on it. Mm-hmm. I think she's a voice of reason there. I completely because agree. Because when Hannah was coming at her at Tribal Council and she was making that connection between Sabaya and Kate, Caleb, Sabaya was basically saying that's more in your head than it is the reality. The reality is you're secluding yourself. Yeah. Also, I thought that whole thing was weird from Hannah because at the same time, she was also asking to be voted off. So why are you also making gameplay accusations? I don't know. It was just 
And I'm sure a lot of that is like, she's not in a great headspace. I'm sure she was trying to control herself as much as she could. And that just goes to show like how like whatever she was going through was very intense, but she didn't appear to have a lot of control. Yeah, she was a strange one where I think she was just having such a rough time that she wasn't playing smart but was still trying to play at times i want to switch to the red tribe which is austin drew nico d and j maya is that um, is julie nico, i believe goes by sifu yes and julie julie is on that tribe I, julie had one line but i was excited to see her i just thought she seemed like a sweet like classic mom trope and i'm hoping that she can be like a cool mom <laughs> I love that for her. I love moms on Survivor. And They're always the best. And they always get voted off, except for sometimes, and it pisses me off. I thought it was very funny that Sifu was hiding in the leaves already and was looking for an idol or an advantage <laughs> and when- was just being so obvious about it. He got accused of playing a Tony game like five minutes into the premiere. And you know, you have to you have to commend that level of commitment. Honestly, that annoyed me. I think because I you know what I'm about to answer my own question, which is yes, is that Tony really coined hiding and sneaking around and eavesdropping on people. Cause I was about to say, wouldn't most people do that? It's not just a Tony thing, but it really was a Tony thing. I, yeah. I do think everybody like listens in and stuff when they can, but I think Tony just had such a specific way of going about it. I think the red tribe is strong too. to get back to your original question. I think the red tribe is the strongest tribe and then the blue tribe and then the yellow tribe. I agree. Blue- and I think that follows very succinctly like a scale of well-roundedness to the tribe yes that's literally what i was gonna say where i think the red tribe is the most well balanced out of all of the tribes but the blue tribe women's alliance between katora kelly and kendra i'm so here for it they're all september babies as they found out and i loved that for them i really want them to stick i think it will now Because I said that, it's going to fall apart next episode, but I think it will stick. And I, because I feel like it's time, it's time for another all girls alliance. It's also time for the age of true alliances to come back because we've had so many alliances that are more just like voting blocks that last maybe for a tribal council or two, three or four, if you're crazy, but like tight alliances that last for a while. I I really want to see that again. I want people to work together and have to figure it out. I agree. I also think that those women, now that they've come together, are the dominating force on their drive, on their drive, on their drive, on their tribe. They're on a drive. And like, like, I think this really could work. Like, as we have said, like we like all of these players individually and they're all strong for their own reasons and they share a lot of good common traits. So I think they really could take this far if they commit to it, basically. Mm-hmm. Now, you know what I was sad to not see? What were you sad to not see? The birdcage. <laughs> yeah. I wanted there to be another birdcage. I really liked that idea when they employed it last season. I thought it really added a good layer to the immunity idols. But what I am not hoping for this season is production made fake idols. I'm over those, especially because they flopped last season. I don't, nobody used a fake idol. They all went home in someone's pocket. Yeah, like they very much had a place in the game, but it just wasn't in the way that I guess we all hoped it would be. I don't want to see producer created fake idols with fake letters attached to them because at that point, I just think it's a real idol. It's met all the conditional logic to be a real idol. And I think if you are going to put fake idols into the game, this goes back to the manipulations of the, the manipulation of the game by production and how I feel like that has been rampant in the new era with all the twists, with the, not the real merge, but we're kind of merged. There's been so many things in this new era that have been so heavy handed from production in trying to drive a storyline or have like an interesting season. 
Whereas I just don't think it's necessary. If there's going to be a fake idol in the game, I think it needs to be made by one of the castaways. I agree with everything you're saying. And I think the reason I have a feeling that things are going in a more positive direction is I was really excited that when, what's his name? The guy that found the Beware Advantage that I think is Malcolm too. Austin. Uh, Austin. When Austin found the, and he opened it, it was a clue to the idol. It wasn't just the idol itself. And I wanted clues back so bad. I love the treasure hunt aspect of it. I think that makes it so fun. It makes it harder. For a while, it felt like it was too easy to find idols. So I really appreciate it. And I think it's clever to make them have to, it's very easy to know what to do to, to decipher that message, but actually executing it is hard. I appreciate that aspect of it, that it's That is very birdcage-like. I guess that's where I'm getting my fix of it from. So you make a great point. And now I feel better about the idol. Because what I liked about the birdcage is that it forced the people to have to do it in the open. Just like this clue is forcing Austin to have to figure out a time to put his parchment up to the flag. This goes back to one of my favorite idol finds is in second chances where they start hiding the idols in the challenges and kelly wentworth had to in the middle of the challenge grab the idol Mm -hmm. i really like that i think it is so suspenseful on whether or not they're going to be able to pull this off so that's like one production manipulation i guess that i like i i definitely like the aspect of finding an idol that forces them to have to play a portion of it out in the open where they could get found out easier than if they just stumbled or were looking for an idol and were like oh this was in the woods nobody like everyone knows i'm gathering firewood no one's ever gonna know versus i have to stand in front of my team flag to decipher this code and there is always someone at camp yeah it's perfect i i'm excited to see what happens and i again like i'm excited that it's austin i just think he's like a fun little dude to follow so far and i'm curious to see kind of how i feel with a lot of people that they cast in like the pretty boy pretty girl pretty whatever role is to see the brains behind it because everyone clearly has it most of the time, especially at least like in newer survivor, they cast multifaceted people, which is great, mm-hmm. but it's still obvious who's supposed to fill what role. So I think it's just nice to see like what he does with this opportunity. I agree. So I have a question for you and I'll build the premise for this. So Adam Klein from survivor millennials versus gen X winner I really liked him when I was watching his season. He runs a small business as a reality TV casting coach. I thought before that it was just Survivor casting, but in his Twitter bio, it said reality TV casting coach. So he very well could be helping people for other shows. The reason I'm bringing this up is that three people on this season paid for Adam Klein to help them with their application. And those people are Brando, Caleb, and Brandon. What do you think Um, about all that? Well, first of all, my gut reaction is to clown on Adam because that just sounds like such a fake job. And I know it's real and it makes sense. But at the same time, I'm like, this is goofy. But like it makes it's it's consulting and we do that for everything. Like it makes complete sense. It's just a funny sentence to say out loud. I mean, we haven't gotten to see a ton of Brando, which is kind of a bummer because I think he's like a fun little nerdy dude. Um, he did I, sweat I, I wonder if- challenge, which was impressive too for him since he's looks to be one of the smallest guys on the cast, if not the smallest guy. Uh, Sean's in there too. I feel I almost wonder if I'm like, is he supposed to hearken back to Steven Fishback? Just like a fun little scrawny, witty, smart dude. Yeah, uh, that would be cool. That's a now that's a good archetype to have. You can't go wrong with Fishback. Fishback. No, Fishback. Fishback. We love Steven, so you know. Steven, I know you live in Washington, DC now. We would never seek you out on purpose, but But like also here's my address because I also live in Washington, DC. Can you, me, and Emily go we get would coffee? Love- to have you on the pod even though <laughs> you do a podcast already Wait, what if we just start copying all of his gimmicks like we have to give somebody a fishy for every episode yeah what um, a lizard. <laughs> i do want to do winner and loser of this episode 
But just to go back to Adam Klein's casting yeah, business. Let me like finish that thought. Yeah. I think it's interesting. You so, so it's Brandon Brando and who was the last one? Caleb. Okay. On the Yellow Tribe. He uh, did the Sweat and Savvy with Sabaya. Our bestie. You know, it's interesting because they all, all three of them, like they're all very different. So they weren't competing for the same spot, kind of, which I think is helpful. I think it's, I would love to know what Adam really shaped for all of these people and how they were pitching themselves, especially since Brandon did have such a unfortunately real kickoff to his gameplay. Gosh, I felt so bad for him. That man's fall from the daily challenge onto his neck. And they had this drawn out shot of his lower back. I know. I just felt like that was unnecessary and I felt so bad for him. Yeah, they really were not helping him. Jeff was, you know, saying you need to dig deeper, which I appreciate. My thoughts on the Adam Klein situation is that I'm surprised that, like, I'm surprised he hasn't gotten a cease and desist. Three people getting on who had help from him in their casting videos is about 16 or 17 percent of the cast that's half of one of the tribes it's a big percent and i think if i were cbs and i were trying to cast i would feel duped right like i think it could be viewed negatively but i am saying that in more of a devil's advocate kind of way because I personally think that Adam doesn't really have anything to do with the casting, the actual casting process. So he's not calling up Jeff Probst and saying, you should put these people on. He's just watching their application videos and making some suggestions. Right. And at the end of the day, he doesn't actually know what production is looking for or what Jeff is looking for. Like he doesn't have that information i'm viewing it very akin to one when you're applying to either colleges or fellowship programs where you have to write a lot of personal essays or grant planning documents where you're making very much a narrative story about like why you have to be picked to do this thing it's it's the same thing like there's the general standards laid out of what they're looking for and then it's your job to craft that to fit it as well as possible and there's plenty of people that have lucrative careers just editing and helping people write those kinds of applications and I'm just also thinking on like the reverse side like I currently work in the grants field but on the administrative side so like I'm the one processing and doing the grant stuff versus applying for them Mm -hmm. and it's the same thing we see peoples who have clearly had some sort of they've either done their own research or found someone to help them do it to know exactly how to successfully apply for these. And for these grants, we ret- if they are not funded, we return them with comments about what we were looking for and what could be improved. So we're straight up also telling them what to do to fix it. Mm-hmm. So I think this is just kind of, it's an option in the world. And I, I'm with you. Like, I don't really see a problem with it, but I totally do agree with you where I could see the network itself trying to figure out a way to make that not allowed. It's going to become a prerequisite when you get an interview for them to ask if you have been in contact with Adam Klein for your audition right. video. Because I guess the thing is, like, they just, like, I could see them being worried they're not actually, like, getting an authentic, like, who they're casting is not the application they read or whatnot. But I at think the, same time, the biggest concern with that is that they're looking for authenticity and people to be themselves and if you had a coach I'm sure they could be concerned that you were putting on for the camera in certain ways that's not actually genuine to who you are I like I understand that viewpoint but I'm pushing this is all hypothetical of course I'm pushing against it just because I do have such specific personal experience with all of this in that it's extremely hard to be inauthentic on these things. And the minute you are, it's so obvious that any coach is going to tell you to throw it away if it's not authentic. It's like if you have a dull knife, you're just sharpening it. Like the roots are there. You just need some fine editing, a little fine tuning, and then you're in your peak form. But I just don't see I a do way. I agree with that. I don't see a way where the applications that say Adam did consult for are successful if they're not authentic. And I think he knows that extremely well. 
So anything that he's helping these people put together, he's just good. And people that do this for a living are good at knowing what kinds of questions to ask to get that information out of you to really frame a story that sells. I agree with with you on that. I think that if, well, and the reason I bring this up is because on the On Fire podcast that Jeff Probst has after the show, he mentioned that he was not a fan of Adam doing this. Now, I have not listened to the podcast. I saw a tweet referencing this, so I don't know exactly what Jeff said, but he was not, he didn't like it. So that speaks to me that Adam could be like receiving a cease and desist soon. Hmm. I okay, I would love to follow this like throughout the rest of our episodes. Like we need a <laughs> we need like an indictment watch when Adam's gonna get indicted for Yeah. <laughs> Let's hop to after both challenges and the yellow tribe is now trying to figure out who to vote out and who to vote for. And frankly, the options are so numerous on this tribe. I think the only person whose name wasn't tossed out that we saw was Sean. Yeah. That man is laying under the radar, but Emily called out um, Sabaya and Caleb for being a pair. Brandon is obviously a challenge flop. Hannah is about to lose her mind with no nicotine and Emily is being Emily and delightful and everybody's really getting along with her. So <laughs> there's so many options for this tribe. And I think like the scramble would have been so real if Hannah didn't quit. And I do want to talk about her quitting and our thoughts on all that. Definitely. And I agree with you. I have a quick question. Mm-hmm. Did Sean have any screen time? I don't remember this man at all. He and I watched this today. With, he was with Brandon in the water for the marooning. And he like climbed over Brandon on the ladder to get back up to the ship and then didn't help Brandon. And the rest of his tribe was like, hey, go back and help Brandon, please. Did he get to talk at all? He did speak a few times, but I do think he got little screen time. He reminds me so much of a coworker I have, though, so I just was noticing him more. <laughs> well, Sean, if you ever hear this, I'm sorry. I'm sure the next episode you'll be extremely memorable. Yeah, I think, honestly, he, I think, is in my top three after watching this episode. Wow. I I like him. I think he's playing a bit of an under-the-radar game, which is nice. By not helping his tribe made up. Exactly. Also, so funny when Brandon came back from the marooning and was like, hey, guys, now I need to go lay down. Yeah. But, like, I do get that. Like, you need to... It's well, hard because it's like... He had medical called on him, so I completely believe he needed to rest. That's, like, 100... It's another damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because if you don't, you're going to actually, like, continue to harm yourself. But if you do, everyone's going to be, like, okay. So what What do you... Okay, what do you think of her weird quit slash... Are, are we kind of just a quit or a vote off? Like, what's happening? No, I, I personally counted as a quit. She made it clear that she was going to be leaving even without the votes. Because they talk about that at Tribal Council... When discussing with Jeff, who's going home, you know, they're talking, Emily is talking about Sabaya and Caleb. Some people mentioned Brandon. And when Hannah's chiming in, she says something along the lines of, I don't need to be voted out to leave. Yeah, I thought that was weirdly threatening. And also just like, I don't know, if you want to quit, just just say it. Like, let's just get this over with. I don't know. I feel like I have complicated feelings about this because I feel really bad because she wanted to quit after day one when I'm sure there's plenty of people that would have wanted to be there the whole time. It was very disappointing. Yeah. And I think, and it's just, I feel like Jeff was annoyed, which I think he always is is when someone quits. It's like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. (laughs) Right. And also I'm sure like everyone's at least to a level confused because clearly she thought she would want this. And then in reality is not. And I I think we've all been in situations like that in various ways. 
And that's a really hard emotional thing to reckon with. What I'm about to say, like, I mean this in, like, not an offensive way, just kind of in a truly, like, what is the reasoning behind this way? And that it's, like, a thing that I don't understand because I just have never experienced it. And I have no idea how much this played into her wanting to quit or not. But when she was talking about nicotine withdrawal, which she could have been, like, very lighthearted jokingly, but if she was serious about that, is that not something that you would have... Right. Is that not something you would have wanted to try and prepare yourself for more? Or, and again, like, I have no idea where she was in that journey for herself. Maybe she was smoking six packs a day up until that moment, or maybe she had really weaned herself off. But also, I guess if you had had that habit before, when you're feeling emotional distress, I could see her totally craving that again, as I would imagine. Yeah, even It was perhaps a tool in the past for her to deal with strong emotions, just because that's how I know everyone else in the world to use nicotine. But, you know, I, again, like, I don't know anything for sure. She had a lot of contradictions, which... On the one hand, I completely understand because you, it is a really rough environment and you don't necessarily know how you're going to react truly until you're there. But at the same time, I'm just like, what was going on where you wanted this so badly, but then had such an averse reaction the minute it happened? Like, I'm just, I'm just curious kind of what's going on. And I'm still kind of confused by her. And I think I'm just disappointed that she couldn't even try and fight through for like one more time. I think the most frustrating thing about it for me was that if she wanted to quit, I don't like what happened at tribal council where Jeff asked them if they wanted to have a vote or not, or if they just wanted to say, yeah, Hannah can go. I think that either they should have been forced to have a vote and actually vote for somebody or Hannah needed to quit on her own and say, I'm quitting. I just thought it was a little weird, this medium way they did it, because I mean, I think it would have been interesting to see them vote. I don't know if she would have actually gotten voted off or not. If not, I think she should have been forced to actually quit and not have it done in this strange way. I agree. It was just a, it was a weird ending to the show. Yeah. You know, we're only going to go up from here, hopefully. Yeah. And I just think it would have been really, really funny if they had voted off somebody else instead and then she quit a day later. But I just, they, I think they should have either been forced to vote or she needed to, I think they should have been forced to vote so that she could have actually quit instead of this like in-between thing that happened. Let's do the winners and losers of the episode. Okay. What do you think? Is your winner. I think my winner of the episode is, it's kind of hard to say. I think there's a lot of people in good positions right now, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to go with, I think I'm going to go with Austin. His tribe seems strong. He seems like he's in a good position in the tribe. I don't think they're going to want to vote him out soon. And he found the beware advantage. Right. Which we don't actually know the downside of that one yet, do we? No, we don't. So I was thinking Austin as well, because he had that and we don't, there was no clear bad thing given about Maybe it. Maybe he does I, lose his vote. And I just, you know, it's this, this podcast is from what I will remember. And I just exactly. don't remember. Because, so I was also thinking Austin, but I'll just say like another person because you also said Austin. I'm thinking mm-hmm. Katora. Like, I think she's like, I think she's positioned herself well. The tribe itself seems good enough. She kind of took a, informed gamble on lying about her career and it seems to have really paid off because for whatever reason the rest of the people are pressed that Caleb or not Caleb that Jake is a lawyer so Mm -hmm. yeah I I think she has a strong alliance and she's already she's made someone (laughs) make a case for themselves as to why they should be the boot the first boot from that tribe Exactly. I also think that since she's on the tribe with Bruce, there she has a couple of people who that blue tribe would vote for over her. So I yes. think she, she is in a good position. My other winner is the Women's Alliance because I just like that. All the women in the game. All the women in the game win, even Emily. Um. Okay, loser. loser. My loser. Hannah flopped, but my loser, I think it's like kind of a toss up to me between... Brandon and Emily Brandon in for two like it's hard because they are diametrically opposed reasons Emily for all of the distinct choices she has completely made and Brandon for everything that happened to him that was not a choice at all 
I think the easy choice for loser is Brandon, but I'm actually also going to throw Sifu's name in this ring because he got caught eavesdropping and that's true. Not coming off as super self-aware. I just think that he unnecessarily has put himself in a bottom position on this tribe Mm -hmm. by being very overt with looking for idols and eavesdropping and getting caught hiding. I think the getting caught sneaking around. Yeah, that's rough. Either means nothing or is the beginning of his doom. Right. They're either going to completely write him off for that reason or think way too much about him. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much in like in the tribe world, Drew was like annoying and snooty and stuck up about himself, but he's kind of a loser if, if the way he came off to the viewers, how he comes off to the tribe, I think he's not set himself up well. Out of touch. I think another loser could be could be Bruce. Um, because um, yeah. He he's also totally not self-aware with this whole drunk uncle thing. He's absolutely the dad, and I think he just needs to embrace it. Yeah. Yeah. The sooner you just embrace yourself and know how to work with what you're good and bad at like top tier self-awareness is probably the most important skill you could have I guess for this game yeah well we did it we We recapped from what we remembered I think we did pretty good we will see y'all next week it was great to talk yeah stay self-aware fireworks explosions (laughs) introspection survivor theme I am really excited to see last thing I'm really excited to see the opening theme next this week. Me too. That's a great note to end on. Thank you so much for everything, Liz. Or Thank you. Lizard. <laughs> Thank you, Spike. Always a pleasure. Good evening and good night. Love you. Bye. Bye.